Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. you got your usual crew here today, J.J. Cooper and John Manuel. I guess we can go back to saying we're the usual crew. I think we are the usual crew. We're the we're the, we're the A crew. I do miss the days of uh, the John Manuel Will Lingo podcast and the Matt Myers, Alan Matthews podcast. I'm sliding you by saying I miss those days, but I enjoy your guest, your guest spot on the Matt Myers, Alan Matthews <laughs> I didn't even think I was going to get it. <laughs> that was an awesome. That's the all-time best podcast we ever did. Non Which is Aaron now Fit, like non, seven years ago. It is, but non-Aaron Fit Rage yes, that, that, uh, that, that will be the Those rage. are always good when Aaron well, rages against we, the We may uh, have some rage today because today we're we going to talk, we're, we're gonna talk uh, the topic of the day. We, we're going to get into other stuff. We're going to answer some questions afterwards. But the main thing that we're going to start with today is, is how can you not we're recording this on Wednesday morning in the – I guess it's still just – it has not officially been announced. The press conferences have not gone on yet. But the the mega deal, the Blue Jays – Mega deal. The Blue Jays and Marlins get together for one of the largest trades you know, we can remember. It's really amazing that, J.J., in the span of like three months, we've had two of the biggest money dumps in the history of the game. I mean, I know the money's bigger in the game now, but it's it's hard to conceive – of two trades like we've seen with the Red Sox dumping their contract on the Dodgers and now the Marlins dumping Josh Johnson, Mark Burley, Jose Reyes, Emilio Bonifacio, and uh, John Buck, Buck to the Blue Jays, to the Blue Jays for, for seven. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of prospects, and obviously, you know. Let's, we, let's, yeah, let's set let, the stage first. Yeah, let's set the stage. Uh, it's funny to look on the baseball, in, in the print edition or in the iPad edition of Baseball America, if you go to your Blue Jays top ten, you just go down the left column, numbers 2, 5, and 8 in the Blue Jays' top 10. Number 2, Jake Marizdic. Number 5, I'm already blanking on Justin, Justin Nicolino. And number 8, Adani Hechevaria. I was just looking up an old edition of a Baseball America almanac about Hechevaria. He got a he got a game-winning hit off Nick Morande in the 18U World Championships. No, 16U World Championships, I think. It's the only time in the last six years that the 16U team lost a game. And with Hachavaria got a base hit. Oh, so two big leaguers already. It was like in 2007. So it's pretty funny to, to go back and look through that. So but those three. So those three guys, Jeff Mathis and his uh, two-year contract going from uh, Toronto. I'm surprised the Marlins were willing to take that. Yeah, he might be the highest-paid Marlin now. <laughs> and uh, Anderson, uh, Henderson, uh, Henderson Alvarez, who had a brutal year but does have an electric arm. Um, and am I missing anyone else who went from Toronto? Uh, uh, another uh, – the uh, right-handed pitcher? Right-hander wasn't on the top 30. Uh, uh, oh, Anthony DiScalfani, the Di former Scalfani, University yeah. of Florida I wanted right-hander. you to pronounce it because Anthony I know I've pronounced it wrong. Anthony DiScalfani is a nice, you know, uh, probably should have been on the Blue Jays' top 30, and he'll definitely be on the Marlins' top 30. He's an intriguing arm. He's probably a reliever, but you know, I've seen him 96, 97 myself, and it comes out pretty easy. So uh, some intriguing guys. And first off, J.J., I guess we have to start off with um, you know, you made some calls on this last night. I was, I didn't, I didn't work this trade yet, but you did some. And Will Lingo made the same point that you made, and he hadn't talked to you yet this morning when I came in, which is strictly from a baseball sense, just looking at this as a baseball trade, the Marlins didn't do so bad in this trade. They, right. they got some I, I, t- talent for talent. They got some talent back in this trade. I, I made a couple calls last night, and I had uh, a guy in the game. You know, relatively high up in the game, who I, I, you know, value his opinion. Said, you know what, on the baseball merits, like this for the Marlins. Said, no, it, 
the problem with this is it's hard to really evaluate this just on the baseball merits. I talked to someone else. Yeah, you can't really do it, but let's try to give, let's try to be in the vacuum and just look right. at it from that aspect. I'll first. say this: the best way to put this is is that when you said that, if you said today the Red Sox announced that they traded, and we take this and this was the Red Sox trade that they did when they did with the Dodgers, or if you said that to pick another team out of the blue that the uh, the Brewers swung right. this deal, I don't think that the reaction would be the same. I think if you did, if it was that was the case. And with a little bit different circumstances, I think if you then would be able to look at it from the baseball standpoint and say, I don't think it's a great deal for – I don't think this is a great deal for the Marlins on the baseball sense from the standpoint that you traded the best player in this trade, you traded away. Right. The second best player in this trade, you traded away. Right. I would say you could probably say the third best player in trade, you got back. Like if you're talking about – you know, because all of this works into – the uh, present uh, talent, yeah. future ability, and all that. I like Mark Burley better than you, so I, I would say Burley to me is still the third best player. I would not trade Mark Burley straight up for Jake Marisma. With this contract he has, I probably I would. I wouldn't. Mark Burley's so durable; it's so hard to find pitching these days. And I have enough questions about Jake Marisnik's hit tool that I would take Mark Burley. Right. But, but it's, it's debatable. Right, that's debatable. So let's say that's the three and four in some way. So I, I'll probably agree with you that you're now going the next player in that is. The other one, so you're giving up three of the top four players in this trade. Right. Okay, and if you're saying who's the fifth best player in this trade, Justin Nicolino, is he the fifth best player in this trade? Probably. Okay, probably so I'll give you the fifth. Bonifacio's Bonifacio's be... pretty good. I mean, all the guys at the Blue Jays. You I mean, know Escobar, the, if it wasn't for the baggage. Would... But you can't ignore the baggage. But the baggage I mean, is the, part the of it. The baggage is the reason he's on his third team. I mean, it's hard to find shortstops who are two-way players. And, you know, he's The Braves were willing not. to get rid of him when they they were basically willing to punt him when they had him as their shortstop of the present and future and go searching for shortstops for years. So from the baseball standpoint, we think this is a decent trade for the Marlins. They got some talent back. I'm just looking at projected lineup for them. You know, uh, you're probably going to have Logan Morrison in one of your corner spots, left or first. You're probably going to have Cam Coughlin in one of those. Cam uh, Coughlin in one of those. Chris Coughlin. I get his name wrong all the time. Um, you certainly have Giancarlo Stanton, who tweeted out last night that he was displeased, to put it politely, yes, he should be. with his trade. Um, you've got... Uh, minor league free agent fine, Justin Ruggiano, who's unlikely to reproduce but you're, his big year last but you're year. Now, but he's one he's of your a cornerstone. Guys now. He, is a, he is a cornerstone of the team now. you got Hechevaria and Escobar, who have to be excited about this as Cuban defectors, immigrants, however you want to put it. Um, you know, Hechevaria, who I think might have been a Canadian. He might have had Canadian. Well, one of them had. Obviously, Escobar was actually drafted. Hechevaria signed as a free agent, even though he defected in Canada, which I think is kind of a joke. He should have been. I don't know why he wasn't declared, you have to go in the draft. He left in Canada, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's like Jose Iglesias left in Canada, and Noah Laguayas. That's who I'm confusing him with, and they should have been made subject to but the draft. You, the point is, you're, you're Cuban. Be the third baseman, Echevarria will be the shortstop, I would assume. Or, yeah, or vice versa. But, but you're guessing I'll, I'll that both these, these guys are going to be excited to be in Miami, <laughs> I, would, I would imagine. This is, if you know Escobar is going to be good anywhere, it's going to be playing for the Marlins, where he's getting a lot of opportunities. You still have Columbia's Donovan Solano, who's our all-rookie second baseman. Playing in the World Baseball Classic qualifier this weekend. We won't forget to talk about that. Oh, we probably will. Probably won't have time to talk about that. Uh, so there's some pieces. But this is the fifth-place lineup. And, J.J., I'm looking at their projected rotation. That's where they're a fifth-place team. Jacob Turner, Nathan Ivaldi, Henderson Alvarez, Ricky Nolasco, Wade LaBlanc. And, and, and Ricky Nolasco, uh, at this point, I'll put it this way. I would not be closing on a house in Miami in the next <laughs> couple of weeks. Yeah. Ricky, because 
you might be next. Yeah, I mean, with some fifth starter, and then there's not a. T- I mean, you can. And there, not well, a you can fill out. You know, and what is going to end up happening is is that they're going to be a team that collects several. You know, m- signed to a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training because that's the kind of guy they can get now. Is the guy who, hey, if my choices are playing for the Marlins and having a chance at a big league job, that guy. You can still get now. Let's just and say sometime in 2013, I gotta imagine you're gonna see both Christian Yelich and Jose Fernandez are top two prospects. Because right. what else do they have to sell? Well, what let, else do they have to market? Let, but it's almost like they're, they're gonna have with Fernandez, Hechavari, and, and Escobar three Cuban players that are fairly prominent here. I mean, but maybe that's on what the baseball to sell. merits. One other thing with that on the baseball merits. What's interesting with this is in talents, talent. You acquire talent. You figure out the log jams later. They acquired Jake Marisnik. Jake Marisnik's best-selling point is as a, an athletic center fielder who you know who can run, right. can play defense, who has superpower, power and the questions about the hit tool. The Marlins' best position prospect by far, and I think the gulf from him to the second best position prospect pre-Marisnik was was pretty far. Eh, I don't know. It depends on what you think of Marcelo Zuna. There's some people who like Marcelo Zuna. I like Zuna, Marcelo Zuna, I, but if you, I'll put it this way. If you have concerns about Marisnik's hit tool, right. double that about sure. Marcelo Zuna. But, Mar- the, but Christian really Yelich uh, was the best, you know, without a doubt, the best position prospect no in the Christian Yelich is an athletic center fielder who can run, who can play defense, who can hit for some power and hit for, and hit for average. Right. Yeah, one of those guys. Podcast, how much we like Christian Yelich. One of those guys is going to have to move. Yeah, I don't think that's that big of a problem. That's again, I don't think so either. And I think that I had I was talking about this on Twitter with people yesterday. I'm JJ Coop 36. He's John Manuel uh, BA on Twitter. Uh, we were talking about I was talking about this on Twitter last night, and I said I think long term the Marisnik's going to be the guy who moves. And I had a question, you know, asked us, well, is that because Yelich is better defensively? Not necessarily right now. But if I'm just mapping it out, the reason I say that, and I want to hear your opinion on this, the reason I say I think Yelich is going to end up being the center fielder of the two is, is for one, there are people who think that Marisnik is more likely to lose his speed as he matures because he's a bigger guy. He's yeah. a bigger guy. The other is is that Marisnik, admittedly, right now, right field is not a problem. But long term, if Mike Stanton, when he gets expensive and if he gets dealt, <laughs> right. Long term, Marisnik can be a right fielder. Yelich is a left center or left. There's no chance of him being a right fielder. Right. But the third one is is the most important. I know that Marisnik made it to Double A last year. Yelich didn't. To me, there's no question though. If you said which guy is closer to the majors, to me it's Yelich. And usually, how these things work out, if Yelich comes up and he's your center fielder and he's playing a good center field, and then Marisnik six months later is ready to come up. You very rarely go, you know what, you're handling the job, you're doing a great job with it, but we're going to slide you over because we've got this other guy. I completely, no, I completely agree with everything you said. I think Yelich, Yelich is more polished. I think he gets to the big leagues first. I think he establishes himself as a, you know, average to a slightly above average defender in center field, which basically means he'll be par for the course. That's what you're, It's like center field and shortstop. Almost. If you're not a plus defender right, out there, 60, you don't stick not, out there. Yeah. I don't know that Christian Yelich can be a plus defender in center field. I I don't think Jake Marisnik will be either. So I think you play the guy there who gets there first and establishes that if, if he, he can it. hit there. Right, if he can handle it and if he shows that he's hitting there and you don't want to rock the boat. To me, that's Christian Yelich. But I agree with everything you said. I think, you're, I think you, your evaluation of those players is, is dead on. Uh, now you go to Toronto, J.J., and, and the American League East uh, has gotten a lot. It, it just has changed so much in a year from this – 
this sameness of the Red Sox and Yankees oh, Red Sox with, the Ray, with the Rays as this interloper. Now, what the Orioles did this year uh, in the regular season, winning 93 games, and now what the Blue Jays have done, uh, Jose Reyes is a I, – I, you know – We've had this discussion all year on the podcast. Who's the best shortstop in the American League? If he's healthy in 2013, it better be Jose Reyes. He should be the best shortstop yeah, in the American not even, League. I, unless the only one I can think of is if something happened to JJ. You know, the only the only people I can say could even be in that discussion is if JJ Harvey has a great year, or if Manny Machado ends up playing shortstop. Well, Elvis Andrews. I mean, if Elvis yeah. Andrews continues his offensive but, progression, but, which, I, but Elvis Andrews cannot be the offensive player. I that disagree. Jose, you go? I, I disagree. Okay. Elvis, look at Elvis Andrews. He's he's coming into his man's. No, I know he's getting. Big, he's like twenty three years old. He's right, but just Jose, coming into his man's. I, I follow what you're saying, and I know they have different games. But the reality is, is that Jose Reyes. If you just if you go back when Jose Reyes was nineteen twenty, like Elvis Andrews was, he was always better offensively than. Yeah, I I, I follow you, but but Jose Reyes is. He's on the back end of his career, but he's not. I, I don't think he's at his peak. A, the injuries are a concern. And I, I still think that Elvis Andrews, A, he's playing in an offensive ballpark. B, he's playing on an offensive team. I, I think Elvis Andrews, if he has a year where he basically – he had a 350 on base last year and about a 360 slugging. If he just makes that that leap, uh, again, in coming into his man strength at age 24, I don't think it's unreal to expect that between ages 24 and 28, this is a guy who starts slugging – over 400 consistently, and it's like a 450 slugging guy by the time it's said and done. He's big. Oh, I'm, I'm, he, he is, he's so a what strong guy. I, I hear what you're so saying there. I expect, I expect his – he'll never have a peak of what Jose Reyes's peak was offensively. He, I, 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 know, I follow you, but I do think that Elvis Andrews in, in 2013 has a chance to be a better player than Jose Reyes. I, I follow you. So what you're saying, though, is, is to me, from what I interpret of what you're thinking, what Elvis Andrews could do, you're thinking that Jose Reyes – We've seen the best of him because Correct. because what you just described, if Jose be. Reyes at his best, is better than that. Absolutely, right? So Absolutely, but I don't think Jose Reyes will ever be that guy again. Okay. He's just been too injured. He's just not consistent enough. I would love for him to prove me wrong. And, and one of the problems at his best, he's an incredibly dynamic and fun to watch player. And one, I, 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 one I have the, no rooting interest in here. I just want to see a fun. I, I want to see good shortstops. I'm tired of seeing crap shortstops. So I'd like to see Jose Reyes come in the American League and be good Jose Reyes, not disinterested Jose and, Reyes. And one of the problems with that, though, is for Jose Reyes with with the injury concerns, one of his biggest assets is one that you probably have to rein in somewhat because of his injury concerns. His speed, his ability to create havoc on the base pass, is something that you have to kind of say, you know what, we don't want you going out and stealing 65 bases for us. You just have to pick your spots yeah. more intelligently when you're 28, 29, 30. You know, he's 20, he'll be 30 this year. Uh, this is his age 30 season coming up. Um, you know, maybe I'm, too, I'm more down on him than I should be, but when you look at his 2011 season, it's the outlier in his career. Not the norm. The norm for him is between a 102 and 115 OPS plus. That one year when he won the na- uh, batting title in the National League, and he had 344. That's the big norm, but I mean, that, that's the big outlier. But to me, the norm is an above-average offensive player and above-average defensive player. If he does that, and he's you, the best shortstop in the American League. And you hate to but say I just, it, but I just the, think the outlier came in his contract year. Right, and I just, I just don't think people give Elvis Andrews I think people are very stuck on the fact that Elvis Andrews had a year where he barely slugged 300 a couple of years ago the last two years has gone up to 360 and 379 he's 23 he's going to be 24 uh, he plays every day he's a oh, great I, defensive I, player and a, and a leader I, I, I'm me, a fan too right to me this guy's offense is just going to keep getting better I just think if you look at the guy physically 
this is not a guy who's going to keep slugging under 400. He's just too physical for that. And, and you know, the other guy who might be the best shortstop in the American League is Jerickson Profar. So he, yeah. he just never know. We've already found out in this offseason less than a month old that anything can happen. And right. that's, so it's a fun trade to talk about in that regard. Does this trade make the Blue Jays the American League East favorite to you, J.J.? Is no. it that good? No. Okay. It doesn't but, for me either. But by the way, if, you, know, you want to talk about if you want to go back, we were to just the difference of the Blue Jays in a week, though. We were talking about them last week. Yeah. And you, I remember you saying, like, what does this team hang itself, you know, hang its hat on? Right. Well, now they hang their hat on the middle of that lineup. You've got yeah. you've got Reyes kind of teeing it up, followed by basically probably Bonifacio because he's a table setting speed guy. You got and that's and that's the kind of speed. The reality is is that those two guys at the top of the lineup. One of the things it does do is in the AL East. You know, the Yankees are always a team that basically, ah, you know, our catcher needs to hit. You know, right, well, right. You know, and, you know, the, the the Red Sox, I don't think you play a lot of catcher for them. The Red Sox are supposedly in on Mike Napoli. Well, they Guys, just signed uh, David Ross. No, I said they said, but they're still on Mike Napoli right. after that. Right, oh, yeah. That. No, I know. But, yeah. but, what I'm but Ryan LaVarnway and Jared Saltalamaki aren't, uh, you know, known for their defense either. Right. What I'm saying is, is that they now have a kind of a speed component that at least you're going to have to pay attention to a little right. bit more. Then you go, okay, take your pick. Is it Brett Lowry batting, you know, followed by Joey Bats, followed by Encarnacion? Well, we need better out of Lowry than you got last year, no doubt about right. that. But it's there, and that's all of a sudden, that is, that's a that's a very impressive lineup now. And I'm looking at a projected rotation. Obviously, Josh Johnson is the big question mark here. But Can that's he? why Mark Burley is so uh, is an excellent compliment to Josh Johnson. He's so durable. He's shown he can win in the American League. I love Mark Burley. I mean, I just think he's underrated because he doesn't throw hard. Every year, this guy is 200 innings, uh, efficient, and obviously has a perfect game to his name. Uh, has been a frontline starter on a World Series championship team, although that was now almost eight years ago in, with the White Sox in 2005. But he's he's still steady. He's not a he's not a one or a two guy, but he's an excellent complement to Josh Johnson. I bet you he's a positive influence on Ricky Romero. And don't forget the complete X factor in all this. Beyond Johnson is Brandon Morrow, who's got big time stuff. He's got number one stuff. I was just talking to a scout yesterday about. He was having. We were having this debate again. Brandon Morrow, Tim Lincecum. I was like, hey, look, everybody to do all 30 clubs. They had to do that decision over again. Would do Lincecum over Morrow. He was still arguing that Morrow long term will be worth more. I think he's crazy. The problem is, is you can't. You can't. Tim Lincecum has already put those Cy Youngs in the bank. Five years from now, Tim Lincecum could be done, and Brandon Morrow could be winning two Cy Youngs. That's possible. I don't put that past Brandon right. Morrow, but, but I still think every team would do it over again. I have to have to do it over I'll, again, but do Lincecum. I'll take the two mil in the bank and the two over, World the, Series over the promise of, yeah, and two World Series championships yes. over the promise of the potential of five million down the road. Give me the I, two million. I respect already. that evaluator quite a bit, but uh, that was a pretty funny discussion to have. But, but the point is that Brandon Morrow is really good. That's uh, When he's at his best... Brandon Morrow is a, a, a number one starter in terms of stuff, and that's hard to find. The, the interesting thing about this also, though, is this does change the dynamic for the Blue Jays going forward, too, in that their farm system, I think we both are we're not anti-Blue Jays farm system, but we're not as high on it as some other people are. Yeah, it's we, just not a great – right now their, their top ten includes Daniel Norris, uh, Matt Smorrell, and Anthony Alford. So Daniel once, Norris, who had uh, – Horrific year in the Appy League this year. Terrible. Uh, Matt Smorrell, who pitched twice all spring and had a broken foot. It is interesting. I and mean, he's a he's a he's, not, he's a top ten talent. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of 
projection uh, to go. Tons of projection, a lot of uncertainty there. But I will say I like the recent track record of high school pitchers out of Ohio. I'm looking at you, Jonathan Neese, and uh, and uh, uh, the big fat guy for the <laughs> Chad Billingsley for the Dodgers. I couldn't think of him. Okay, he's just big boned. Um, and then number ten is Anthony Alford, who's playing quarterback for Southern Miss. I mean, there's a lot of uh, well, there's upside go, in that farm system, but there's a lot of questions. Go above that. that. The, the other thing with it is, is that now that you take basically Marisnik out of it, and you take Echevarri out of it. There is no Travis Darnode is the only guy in their top ten who basically has any significant time above a ball. Correct. Yeah, the well, rest of their farms at the, at the top levels are a little iffy. And so, but the thing that this changes is is now some of those guys may end up being trade ships this year because they do. Yeah, now you're all in. Now you're all in, and if you come to June, come to July. I think before this trade, if the Blue Jays came to June, July, and they were doing fairly, you know, fairly well, but not great, and they're in third place in, you know, in the East, and you say, right. you know what, we're not going to gut our, our top pitching prospects to, to make a push. I think now that you put that same scenario, you say, yeah, we do. We you just, absolutely do. Now you're, now you're in a win in 2013 mode. It just shifts, it just shifted their entire organization's philosophy from like a more of a longer term, a bigger picture, longer term look to a shorter term look. And John Farrell has to be the guy who's kind of wondering, wait, wait, wait a minute, what did I just leave behind as he leaves Toronto to go be the Red Sox uh, manager? You know, he just went from a franchise that was on the upswing to one that's kind of in decline. And, and uh, I think right now, if you said, okay, you know, you asked that question to me, okay, so who is your favorite? I, I think it still has to be as, as bad as they looked yeah. In the playoffs, I think the Yankees are still the favorite. I agree. We'll Partly see what happens this offseason, obviously. I think we don't know. You know right. They're, they're going to have to probably replace Nick Swisher. But I, I still think the Yankees have one more year to ring out of them <laughs> before that group, uh, as presently assembled, is done for. Especially because I, I still think they're starting pitching. I still think CeCe Sabathia, I know a couple years from now, this guy's contract is going to be a millstone for them. But Sabathia, I still like Yvonne Nova. Phil Hughes. I still think the rotation looks pretty good, even without Corota. Um, they, and they have the obviously the financial wherewithal They're, to improve their roster if they need to do it. Right. I think the Yankees are at the top. I still think we don't know what's going to happen in the off season, but right now I'd say I, Toronto's second for me. I think Tampa has some pretty big holes there at the. And I know that uh, Ben Zobrist is a really good player. First of all, they have to fill their center field or an outfield spot. Right. I know they intend to move Desmond Jennings over. But, you know, Desmond Jennings hasn't done it yet. B.J. Upton did it. Uh, they still have to find a corner bat, first base, left field kind of D.H. They really don't have and, one. And please, could, at some point, I know Jose Molina's good, you know, good at framing, and I know they've had some guys who can pick it at short. Right. But, you know, shortstop and catcher. <laughs> and Ben Zobrist is 32. Uh, if, if memory serves, he's at 32. He might even be 33 years old. This guy was a, I think he was at a fourth year. He was either a fourth year junior or a senior or a fifth year senior. He was old. He was 23 when he made his pro debut in the minor leagues. Ben Zobers is a very good player. Kudos to Dave Cameron and the Fangraphs guys for pointing out first that Ben Zobers wasn't just good. He was really a great player. Um, they were right. He's had a great career. But he just finished his age 31 season. This guy's going to start declining soon, especially if you keep asking more and more out of him playing shortstop. But that being uh, that, said, to me, I would take the Blue Jays over Tampa the, pitching. Be damned. We'll I'll, see what I'll, happens. I was going to say, and I'll right now, like I said, and this could change because we don't know who they're. Someone's getting dealt, but I'll still take because there's still enough questions there. Because with the with the Blue Jays, you're talking 
okay, will Josh Johnson be the Josh Johnson, the good Josh Johnson, right. or the banged up Josh Johnson? But the Johnson? Rays had all that pitching this year and didn't make the playoffs, and the American League East was wide open, and they didn't they didn't get it done. But they still were. They were good. I'm, I'm not saying they weren't good. And I don't think their pitching is going to be any worse next year significantly. I don't either, but I, I don't think Fernando Rodney will be that good. So, A, I, I think it's unlikely that he yeah. will repeat his miraculous 2012 season. And all these offensive questions are still there to be answered, and we, as we discussed last week. And they don't have, they don't have internal answers. They're going to have to make that pitching trade, and they very well could. But it looks like to do that, JJ, it looks like to do that you have to take on some salary. Are they going to do that? Every other trade that when you get your, make your team better involves – Taking on some salary, they have shown zero willingness. And that's what yeah, it's 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 very the really the best answer is is I can the best I can give you on that is is it's an incomplete because right now we sure. know what the Blue Jays have done. Right, and that's why I'm ta- that's why if I, given the choice right now, I take the Blue Jays over the Rays. I mean, and, and I understand the Rays have more strength. We'll wrap this topic with. Did you read Keith Olbermann's blog post about no, this? No, I've not seen that yet. Keith Olbermann basically wrote that this is in his mind long term what this trade signifies. A that everyone agrees. This poisons the Miami market, despite the new ballpark, that Jeffrey Loria is indefensible as an owner. Uh, he's ruined one market in Montreal, which was, had its own problems, but he drove a stake through its heart. And now in Miami, another market that had its problems, but he, again, drove a stake through its heart with this trade and the way he built the taxpayers for that ballpark. Olbermann's point was not only will this ruin the Miami market, but this will eventually just ruin Florida for all of – for, for Major League Baseball, because what, you know, what, what can the Rays do? How are the Rays going to be able to go to the public there in the Tampa area in a, in a state that still has basically an economic depre- it's a depression in Florida, a state that has so many problems, and then you just have one market that built the taxpayers out of a ballpark, built it, and then gutted the team. What do the Rays ever do to stay there? How do the Rays I, stay there long term? One thing I will say with this, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, I don't disagree with most of those points. And I do think before we move on, we have to talk about the non-baseball part of this. It, you know, it, I do think it's intriguing. I don't, I, think, I don't necessarily agree with Keith, but I think it's intriguing. The one thing I think, though, that, it's, that that foundation of that is built on kind of shaky ground is that the Florida baseball market has always, and I believe will always, be terrible. I, I don't think that's the one thing, the one part of this, and I'm sorry, Jeff Lora does not deserve any, you know, Kudos or any like yeah, no okay, I'll pat you on the back. You know, you right. Soft it, on him. I got yeah, you. they didn't sell out every game last night. You know, last year. Here's the thing. I don't care. You could build the baseball version of Jerry World. You know, the Cowboys <laughs> Stadium, and you could put it anywhere you want, exactly in the spot you want in Florida. I don't think you're drawn that much. You could have done it for the for the Dolphins, who are the only team there with any tradition. I don't think you're drawn that much. much. It is a bad sports market. Sports market. If you're talking about fans going out to games, I don't think, you know, yes, the ballpark in Tampa, bad ballpark. Worst That's, ballpark in the majors except for maybe the A's. No know, doubt. No doubt. No doubt. That being said, they could be playing in Camden Yards. They wouldn't be drawing. I agree. And, uh, that's, and, that, and the reality of that is, is that what it comes down to is, is that, and so, yes, you're right. This is going to nuke. The possibility of the Rays ever getting a ballpark in the in the Tampa St. Pete area, a new ballpark. It's pretty you know popular. But that's actually probably good for the taxpayer in Tampa, and it may be good long term for the Rays because the reality of this is that they could have built that ballpark, and they're not going to draw thirty thousand yeah, on an average. Right. They're, they're not. They're going to draw thirty when the Yankees come to town because the reality of this is that there's a couple things. One, it's a very 
it's a very seasonal a lot of these communities yeah <laughs> half the community's gone during baseball season right put it this way they even tried more cowbell and that hasn't worked in Tampa i mean they've tried everything you know but that and, doesn't ex- again now now i want to get on the part that that doesn't excuse Jeffrey Laurie because it does not. What he did here, the reality is is that I've seen on Twitter a couple people try to make the argument, hey, they're just following the Billy Bean approach, you know, that says that if you're not going to be, if you're going to be middle of the pack, tear it apart, try they're again. never middle of the pack. But, but <laughs> the problem with that is, is this. To do that, I think that you can have a, an intelligent fan can understand with a smaller market team, which I'm sorry, you're in Miami. I don't right. even know if I buy this, that this is a smaller market. But I can understand the argument that, you know what, if you're a team that's less financial resources, partly because the owner is pocketing a whole lot of money, right. but less financial resources, you're going to have cycles where you build up, you make your run for it, and then at some point you have to tear that down and start over. But the, to be, the intelligent fan who can understand that has to, there has to be part of the cycle. The cycle can't be that you tried for two months and then you started tearing it down and we'll try again in five years. And that's what the, that's what the Marlins essentially, right. the best that they can try to sell that is, is, hey, we went out and signed Reyes, we signed Heath Bell, we signed, you know, we had Hanley Ramirez, we had Stanton coming up, <laughs> and you know what? We tried it in April. Right. And in, May, <laughs> and in May, we kind of decided it wasn't working too well because Heath Bell was blowing some saves. Right. And by June, we were sellers. The thing is, I think in June, though, they did pick up Carlos Lee. I think that's when they traded for right. Carlos they, Lee, which is kind of inexplicable in, in hindsight. At least they did try. It just there's no defense by, of Jeffrey Luria. I will, and I also have to say, JJ, I don't see how people who work for the Marlins and who've worked for Jeffrey Luria for a long time can do it with a straight face. I don't see how, or if you work for David Sampson, I don't see how Michael Hill, their executive VP, their general manager, can do it. I don't see how Stan Meek, their longtime scouting director, can do it. I don't see how Dan Jennings, their assistant GM, can do it. I know these guys have big contracts that have been locked up with the Marlins. I understand that. I know the industry has a lot of, uh, you know, it's very hard to keep a job long term, and there's a lot of instability in the industry. So when you have that opportunity to sign that contract, you do it, but... How do you keep working for this guy? Because he, he's a liar. He's a liar, John, as Alan Matthews once famously said. I mean, he, he and David Sampson, they just lied to the taxpayers. They lied to the ticket fan, their ticket uh, uh, buyers, their, their ticket base. It must be very difficult to be a Marlins employee today, and I feel it's, bad well, for those guys. The, the problem is, is that I, re- I really feel bad for those guys. All their area scouts, managers in their minor leagues, or coaches. And I, I just I feel for those guys because and that's one of the things we need to make clear here. Control. That's one of the things we need to make clear here is that this is not a team built to say you know what the the next wave is a year away and then we're gonna they have two guys in their farm system who I think I mean we both love yeah those are Jose two top Fernandez like, and Christian Yelich are, are top t- twenty farm guys top ten and top twenty yeah Fernandez is the top ten guy no Yelich is the top twenty guy those two guys Fernandez might be like the number two pitching prospect in the home minors right those two guys. You can't. You, it's hard to find guys. You can find them, but it's hard to find them you're who don't best, love them. If you're talking best pure hitter in the minors, I'd say Tavares is one. And I'd say Yelich. But Yelich is in the conversation for two. He's in the conversation two. for two. Just off the top. I mean, that, that, that's elite. Those are two elite. Maybe and they have. Two. And beyond that, Marcelo Zuna has as much. If, if everything power. comes together, Marcelo Zuna is Mike, Mike, Marcelo Zuna is Mike Stanton-like. He's yeah. Got, he's, he's got as much power, team. but he's not. I mean, the reality is, is that he doesn't have the same 
feel and all where I could say that he's going to become Mike Stanton. But yeah, he's he just not be, as athletic. He could become a lesser version of Mike Stanton. But the, you got Andrew Heaney, their 2012 first-round pick. Is a, I think he's a future 2-3 starter. I mean, he's good. I mean, he's a, he is legit. I really like but, Andrew but Heaney. But the reality of it is, is that you start running out of guys pretty quick. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. I, I like JT Realmuto more, more than most, and the reality is, is that He's probably gonna get a chance to catch in the big leagues now before too long, you know. But I think, don't you like Kyle Jensen a little bit? A little bit, but Kyle Jensen had. I mean, I know he's having a very good AFL. That's one of those things where I don't want. I don't get too excited about the nice AFL he's having right. because I, I'm probably more inclined to go. Well, maybe he's figured some things out, but that was not a very good 2012 over 140 games right. against better pitching that he's facing now. We all know that uh, Jim Callis used to love Zach Cox more than most. I don't think he loves Zach Cox as much as, as, much as he used to. Um, but uh, now they acquired him from the Cardinals. So, I mean, that, there's some pieces there, but yeah, it's just it's just ugly. I, w- I would hate to be, I hate to work for that organization. It would have to be uh, disheartening. Not just a fan. Think about if you're because a fan. There's one thing. There are not that many fans. But if you work for the organization, you put in all this work to win championships. That, and that's what you're there to do. And that's, that's what you're there to do. Yeah, and now I, you see that you have no chance of that with current the ownership. The reality that's is tough. that the the best way I can put it is is that the job. I know everyone wants to, you know, so many people want to work in baseball and how great. But the reality is, is the job is too tough to do just to collect a check. Yeah, it is too hard. I agree. I mean, baseball American podcast with John and JJ. Good stuff on the uh, on the trade. And also want to remind people that if it, uh, our Tim Collins, our, uh, one of our IT guys, El Senor Bueno. On Twitter. Uh, on, to- on Twitter. Reminds you that if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, the second iteration of Baseball America's free agent tracker, minor league free agent tracker, is on there. And as I wrote last month, I like this column, so I'm going to keep talking about it. For two glorious issues, J.J., I had a nice column streak going with the Madison, A.J. Griffin. Then, of course, I crashed it last issue. But the Madison Griffin column and then uh, not Madison Griffin, Brian, Brian Mattis, Mattis and A.J. A. Griffin. Griffin. And then uh, I always like that Mattis and Bumgarner column I did because it sounds like Madison Bumgarner. Anyway. That was another – when I write a column about Brian Mattis, it usually turns out pretty well. Um, but then I also wrote this one about minor league free agents. Um, Gregor Blanco was on this list last year. Donde está Blanco? He was on this list last year. And then uh, you know, Joaquin Arias was on this list last year. Um, so our minor league free agent tracker, check it out. It's, uh, it's at BaseballAmerica.com. What is it? Actually, I don't even have the URL in front of me. But BaseballAmerica.com. It's going to be – well, before long, when we get off this podcast, when I have time, it's going to be a uh, – Permanent link on the front page, just under the uh, you know we have right now the the schedule for the 2013 top tens, right there on the very prominently on the front page, just under the the top little rotating thing. Okay, it's going to have a link to the minor league free agent tracker. But we'll I will also retweet this, so you should favorite yeah. that tweet so you can go back and find it because we know we understand sometimes it can be hard to find things on baseballamerica.com. We're working on that. We are road. working on. We're working on it. But you can see the guy's new organization when they sign. If they have been in our handbook ever, so it might be older scouting reports, but you get an idea what kind of player they are. If they've ever been in a best tool survey, they're on there. So uh, kudos to Matt Eddie. You could, I'm not joking when I say guys. this. You could spend, if you wanted to, you could spend 20 hours on that easy. So that's good stuff. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff on Baseball okay, America. Today, today, if you're you know, listening to this podcast, you, you've got analysis, the complete analysis. If you enjoyed this about the uh, – the top ten, we you know the top the trade you you can listen. Yeah, Matt trade. Matt uh, has a complete trade analysis of it. We have a uh, a scouting report on uh, Dodgers' new acquisition, or not? Excuse me, the one that they won the posting fee for, yep. uh, Korean left-hander Hun Jin Ru. 
And so uh, a very detailed scan report with video of him uh, from Korea. I'll try to say his name. I believe it's Hyun Jin. I, think, I believe it's Yu Hyun Jin, if you pronounce it the right. Korean Which fashion. Korean I, fashion. I, I listened to it. Yeah. I hope I remember it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, not just scouting reports from the 2008 Olympics and 2009 World Baseball Classic, where Yu was a huge part of Korea winning the gold medal in 2008, and they had the best record in the 2009 WBC. Remember, they had the perfect run until they lost in the semifinals. Um, we'll also so, tweet it again because we love to. We'll tweet out his uh, the, the him being on the uh, 2009 uh, WBC top 10 prospects list, which was one Darvish, two was two Chapman. Chapman, three was Iwakuma because we had a, a man crush on his shot. Hey, Iwakuma. By the way, he ended up having a very good year. He did. He had in Seattle this year. Number four is Tanaka. Is that the pitcher's name? Yeah. Ryan, he's, a pitcher from Japan. Still in Japan. Great Gold Houston. Samurai winner in 2011. Number five was you. Number six, Yoni Cespedes. We're a little number low seven, on him, to be honest. Number seven, Norichi, Noriicho Aoki of the Brewers, who had a great year in the major leagues this year. So number eight, Shuleski Gariel, who will pro- probably feel, never come. We feel over. pretty good about that top seven. We feel pretty good about <laughs> that Even top Goriel, seven. Like, if Goriel came over right now. Oh, yeah. No, he'd get a lot of money. He'd get <laughs> a lot of money. It's just that he's not, probably not going to come over. But we did say when we did he's it, only coming we're not ranking Cubans on the Possib- the likelihood of them coming over. I don't want to get political here too much, but I do think in the wake of last week's election – and in the wake of what's happening in Cuba, I think it is possible in the next three to four years, especially if Marco Rubio is the next guy out of uh, floor, uh, the Republican Party, I think it's very possible that President Obama and his administration changes significantly American policy Well, let me ask Cuba. you this. If, you if said, that were to happen, if, you said, if it were just opened up, I think he would be the number. It'd be, it'd be so exciting. But he would to be the. Well, I think he would be the number two prospect coming out of who's left in Cuba right now. I think he'd actually still be number one over Despagne because Despagne is a five foot nine right-handed hitting right fielder. That may be true. Alfredo Despagne could be uh, a Kirby Puckett type with more power, I suppose, and a better eyesight, <laughs> and hopefully better deportment around women. But um, but yeah, I mean Alfredo Despagne, it's hard to know. It's like basically in Cuba they're kind of playing with the summer collegiate ball these days. I mean JJ, they've broken. I just was editing this for the Almanac, the 2011, 2012 Cuba Serie Nacional. Um, we could segue from this into the World Baseball Classic if you want. But Alfredo Despagne broke. It was the fifth time in the last four years the home single-season home run record has been broken in Cuba. It happened with both guys this year, Jose Dariel Abreu uh, and Alfredo Despagne. And Despagne broke the record on the last day of the regular season this year with an inside-the-park home run. So, Which you can't even say you lost in the lights because half the stadiums <laughs> in Cuba don't even have lights anymore. So it's just it's just pitiful. Did you know that Cuba's Serie Nacional expanded last year? They essentially took the Yankee. They took La Havana, and they broke it into two teams. Um, that's kind of crazy, but I digress. Right, we we, do, we have some questions. Take we, some Twitter questions, and then we could either go AL. We probably should just go ahead. Do we'll, do another, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do another we'll do ABC, AL. and we'll do an AL Central separately. Exactly. And we may have to do two AL Central. I appreciate we, that we're on the same page. Um, so, okay, Alec Dopp. A-L-E-C-D-O-P-P on Twitter asks, what's your take on Taylor Youngman? I hadn't even seen that one. He must have just asked that just, to you. Just, but just to me. You know, Taylor Youngman, first of all, Captain Headwack. I don't worry about throwing it to you blind. I know you can answer it. He's Captain Headwack in college. Always enjoyed uh, enjoy the Headwack. Describe a Headwack to someone who does not. Uh, just pick Disco YouTube uh, Max Scherzer and watch his <laughs> delivery, and that's, that picture's a Headwack. At the end of his delivery, instead of all his direction continuing toward home plate, his head, and therefore the body follows, whacks or jerks to the side, usually to the left side. And t- 
he's kind of got getting his head out of the way of his body, essentially, and it makes it harder to repeat your delivery, harder to command the fastball, harder to command all your pitches because there's a little extra effort and violence in your delivery. So, so Taylor Youngman has smoothed that out a little bit. But, you know, to me, Taylor Youngman, I, I thought as a freshman in uh, Omaha in 2009, he was Texas ace. He threw quite hard. He was regularly in the mid-'90s against LSU that year. I think Aaron Fitt and I both thought Taylor Youngman had a future front-of-the-rotation uh, possibilities. He, he's kind of evolved from that. Maybe I shouldn't say devolved, but he's evolved from that into a guy who's a little bit more of a command-oriented sinker, life on the fastball, and, and commanding the fastball as opposed to a guy with big-time stuff, J.J. But it sounds like he really made progress in the Florida State League this year, and it sounds like he's a 3-4 starter type for the Brewers, potentially, down the line if it all works out. Right. Um, I... More of a fourth starter for you, I think. I think a fourth starter, um, fourth. I think there are some concerns that the stuff is not. I mean, if you see him on a bad night, the stuff's pretty pedestrian. Is, it, the, is he, the concern now? He seems like he, he's a skinny guy. He's really never filled out physically in terms of he right. He just never gotten he, a lot. He's thicker. one of the guys. The best way to put it is is that when you say I think it is there, you can call it devolving or whatever you want. He's learned how to pitch with what he has. Yeah, but he I don't think I'll put it this way. To. It's not like, hey, I'm going to pull back a little bit on this so I can locate better. This is, well, this is what I got now. The best stuff in Taylor Youngman's career seems like we've already seen it. I think, we, I think he left it at Rosenblatt Stadium. Right, and the thing Rosenblatt that concerns Stadium. you with that is Moment that, of silence for Rosenblatt Stadium. All right, sorry. But the thing that concerns you with that is that, okay, for one, is his stuff that we see now – is it going to maintain, or is it going to keep going that direction? That's, Which, a, that's an important question. That's a concern. He has lost margin for error that when he pitched once a week in Texas that he had. He does not have that so as if a there, professional. So if he loses another tick off the fastball, well, you know, the reality is there's just not – at that point, then he becomes one of a thousand pitchers out there. But he does have angle. He, he has does angle. have life on his stuff. He, he does locates have an understand, fairly well. He, you know, I'll put it this way. You, you you see enough there to where you say, okay, yes. Is he a prospect? Absolutely. Is he the prospect? Is If he was not a first-round pick last year, would you probably think of him the way you do? If he didn't have the track record he had at Texas, probably not. If you just if right. you came in completely cold on this guy and said, you know what, as a scout, said I'm going to sit on this guy for his next five starts, you would probably leave those five starts. Again, taking all past track record out of it, and say four or five, right? And that's the thing is, is that when you when he's projected three four, that projection comes from well, you know what? Even if you rewound to the start of 2011 when he went on a great, you know, stretch at, at Texas, you're going back to that and you're saying we know that's there, right? Will he get that back? Was I it adjusting to the first year of pitching every fifth day? I do think that he has a knack for pitching. Mm-hmm. I do think that he has. So he has just shown a lot of moxie, a lot of uh, savvy in his career. Where he oh. knows how to make a pitch when he needs to make a pitch. He knows how to win a game when he needs to win a game. The, there are, the, I'm not saying he's Jack Morris. I'm not going right. to that kind the, of the, but crazy the, extreme. The, I, I'm realistic about his ceiling. I do think if he's a forced starter guy, he'll. I, I'm, I'm confident that he'll get to his ceiling, while at the same time acknowledging that his ceiling is less than he used to be. The best hope with him. The, I mean, if, if you wanted to put the rosiest of glasses on for this, is that next year – you know, he has a full off season. He's gotten through his first. He got through health, relatively healthy, his first full season of pro ball. Next year, if the stuff bounces back up a little bit, you know, if you say, "Hey, uh, you really were," you know, he really worked out hard. In the you know, the Brewers are so well known for their 
ability to develop. Yeah, and, and that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's another concern. But but if you said the rosiest of scenarios, <laughs> he's learned to pitch even more because his stuff backed up a little bit. Right. You add the stuff back, well, then you're really talking something. But the reality is, is that if you gave me what chances of that happening. I'll Slim. give it five to ten percent. I'm going to give you Carlos Slim on that. You know, I, I I won't break it down into the tenths of decimal percentages, but it's it's not good. JJ, the other Twitter question that I have in here is from a Mo Colton Mo at Mo Problems. Is there anything legitimately wrong with Brett Lowry, particularly from a power perspective? I would say not being a hashtag not a scout. The answer is no. I do think he's a little. Every young player, not every, but most young players don't make it look as easy as Bryce Harper and Mike Trout did. Um, they Most go through. players aren't that good. Yeah, and, and Brett Lowry's not that good. Let's face it, Brett Lowry's not as good as those guys. No, and uh, I, I, the best way I can put it is, is you know, I've been here now ten years. You've been here for sixteen. 16. <laughs> yeah. And I would hashtag old. And I would say we've seen a lot of great players come through. A lot of great prospects make the big leagues. I think the two best we've seen in our, in our at least in my time here, two best position prospects I've seen come through. Who, you, if you said who are the best players I've going to be the best players when you look back 20, 20, 30 years from now? Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, I started September of 96. I don't think there's been anybody. I mean, like, you know, A-Rod was already in the major leagues by the time I started here. I mean, Jeter was already in the major leagues by the time I started here. I mean, I do remember going to watch Rick Ankiel with the same sense of awe and wonder in the minor leagues that I had right. watching the oh, other if you guys. Talk pitching, that was when he was pitching. If you talk pitching, then there's a chance, because I would say – if he stays healthy, which, hey, he was in Clayston Glass this year, so maybe it helped. Yeah, Strasburg. But Strasburg stuff is in that same level. Like, that's first. That, yeah, if you I'll said the most it. enjoyable thing, I mean, and, you know. Correct. The first big league start Steven Strasburg had was just. That was about as fun a moment as we've ever had at Baseball America. That was just awesome. And, again, you know, for me, oh, moments. I won't even get into those. But, yes, from a prospect standpoint, I think you're right. I think Trout and Harper are the best. But, and sorry, so, Brett Lowry is not, not in their class. But I do think Brett Lowry, you know, I do think Brett Lowry is going to be a, a, an above-average major leaguer. I think he's going to be a 280 to 300 hitter with 25 home runs at his peak. Uh, will he do that in 2013? I'm not sure. I think he still has to learn that, that line of aggressiveness and getting into hitters counts. But that doesn't happen automatically for a lot of hitters. So and, and I, I would say be patient with him. This guy sped to the minor leagues. Um, and, and I think I, I do think it's more likely to happen now with Jose Reyes and these guys. I still we talked about it during the AL East podcast. The, the Jays so much still hinges on their left-handed their left-handed hitters, guys like Colby Rasmus and Adam Lind, and maybe I suppose potentially David Cooper, slotting in around these right-handed power bats they have in Lowry, uh, Batista, and Encarnacion. So you got to have some balance. I do think that this, I think, this, I don't, this don't move helps, helps them. This do this move helps him from the standpoint that. When we were talking about last week, yeah, we were saying that they really had to rely on Brett, Brett yeah, Lowry. Were, Brett Lowry doesn't come through next year; they're in trouble. We were now, saying, what is the identity of this franchise? And in part, it was, hey, we've got the best Canadian, and we're Canada's team. Oh, Canada! You know, now, now that's not the identity of their team. Now, if you say how important is Brett Lowry going to be in their lineup? Well, the reality is, is if he's the fifth best hitter in their lineup, they could be okay now. And they couldn't—you couldn't have said that before. But now, yeah, if you said, right. you know, well, Reyes is better than him. He right. should be. You know, Batista has helped. You know, Batista's sure, better Batista than and him. They're better than him. And then you could say, you know what, if he ends up if he ends up being the next year Bonifacio's better than him, and I mean, he's the 
That's I did not realize threat. the depth of your Emilio Bonifacio I, I fandom, like but that's all right. I, I don't disagree. You must have t- you must have sat next to Jack McKeon at a hot stove. <laughs> uh, Trader Jack loved him. You know, in an uh, elevator recently, but uh, he loves some Emilio. I, I got rode the elevator with him in Greensboro earlier here to watch Jose Fernandez. So. That's it. That's it. Do you want to talk World Baseball Classic qualifiers at all? They start tonight, that, flash tomorrow. That, that, I hate to say it, but I think we're both in the same on this. These qualifiers, I wish I could. I I don't have the fever for these qualifiers because the rosters. Uh, there will be some interesting moments and all, but these rosters just – this is the part where you go, you know what, I like what they're doing. I like how they're expanding it. Yeah. I do. The reality is, is right now we're about six teams too many in this. That I, I, wish that we, I wish that there were a little bit more compelling storylines in the one in Panama. I do think the Panamanian qualifiers would be very interesting. You have Panama, Brazil – Colombia and Nicaragua. I always enjoyed it as a child. I'm sure you did too, seeing the guy, the, whoever the reporter was for CBS News that I used to watch, who would always be reporting from Managua, Nicaragua. So that word is always in my head. But to me, like Nicaragua, Panama, Colombia, Brazil, just don't quite have enough compelling storylines. I do think that'll be a very competitive WBC. Right, if but all these games are but streaming none online. None of those teams have a chance to me to. I mean, they're. That their their whole goal. Panama is to, has a shot. No, I'm saying their whole goal to me is to get in, and then they might win a couple of games, but I don't see any of these teams advancing. Panama has a small shot. Panama does have. Uh, first of all, Panama is compelling in that it has Ruben Rivera playing. Which yeah. I just thirty-nine-year-old awesome. Ruben Rivera. Hide your gloves. <laughs> Make sure you write your name on your glove, uh, Carlos Lee. I'm sure uh, Carlos Lee's not going to really be carrying a glove there. But I'm disappointed that Ramiro Mendoza, I don't believe, is on the Panamanian roster. Fernando Segnal, an all-time personal cheese ball, is not on there. I saw Fernando Segnal hit a long homer in a Dodger Stadium in 2000. So Fernando Segnal not on the not on the roster. Um, uh, Panama has some has some prospects. You do the Colombian team has some of their young prospects. You do have uh, Corn Island's uh, own Chesler Cuthbert on the Nicaragua lineup. But uh, and, and Brazil, you know, Brazil's interesting. Uh, if you don't know, Brazil has a lot of Japanese, ethnically Japanese, uh, uh, ethnic Japanese who live in Brazil, work in the auto industry in Brazil. And I remember going to the Pan Am Games many moons ago in 1999 and being stunned that Brazil's team was all Japanese. No, now, now, it's now it's a little bit more of a mix, and you do have uh, Rienzo, the uh, Young Gomes, you have Adri- Andre Rienzo of the White Sox. Paolo Orlando will be able to field, you know, he'll be able to pick it a little bit in the right. outfield. Right, he's a AAA player, so it's interesting. I think it would be great for Major League Baseball and for baseball, capital B Baseball, if Brazil did well in the WBC, because that would be a great market oh, to see baseball grow in. But the, uh, so I think that'll be a very competitive WBC, and if you have WBC fever, uh, I would watch. I would stream those games because I think that'll, that'll be a very competitive if, qualifier. If, ta- if the Chinese Taipei or yeah. Taiwan, whichever you want to call them, if they do not advance out of the Asia qualifier, that'd be the biggest stunner in international baseball history. Because the reality is, is that we said this before on the podcast. They're the team in this that stands out. Like the, the, the two that stood out to me, like you know what? If there are two teams who got jobbed in all this, yeah, Canada and Taiwan slash Chinese Taipei. Absolutely. I mean, because those are the two you say, those are legitimately, for one, they try. Right. They're not, these are not teams. These are baseball countries. These these are are baseball countries who international, in international baseball, they've had moments. Yes. They haven't, this is not, nothing, not picking on Brazil, Panama. The reality is, is that in the international baseball world, 
Canada has a better track record than you know, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, those. Yeah. They're going to be, yes, they get the automatic in and, I may, and understand. Right. International baseball-wise, Canada has better. It's not close. It's not close in recent years. You know, the thing is that Venezuela has a pretty good track record at the amateur level. It just hasn't gotten its act but, together at the professional level. The Dominican, to my knowledge, has won one international tournament ever. That was the 2010 World Cup qualifying tournament where Bartolo Colon. Whereas the Netherlands has better track record as far as Now it does. Baseball. Yeah, exactly. Now it does. So it is, uh, it's fascinating that Taiwan has to go through this qualifier round, but they didn't win a game in the 2009 WBC. They lost even to China, and that's why they're that's in this knockout round, um, this qualifier round. But uh, obviously the story here is that you have the Philippines, Thailand, and New Zealand. New Zealand has the best nickname in all of international baseball, the Diamond Blacks, and which they is do an a awesome nickname, before the game. which is nice. Uh, you have the two Red Sox, uh, Maunara brothers. I'm, I'm sure I didn't pronounce the name right, but I'm pronouncing it so that you don't have to. Thank you. Um, Andy Skeels of the Giants managing there. You have some interesting managers in this tournament. Barry Larkin managing you do Brazil. Not have many Eduardo players. Perez managing uh, – is he managing Panama or Colombia? I think he's managing Colombia. But, yeah, you don't have many interesting players. Thailand, of course, the most interesting story there is Johnny Damon playing for Thailand, which is kind of uh, shocking, really. I, I had no idea that Johnny Damon's mother was of Thai ethnicity. Um, but he's playing for Thailand. Gino Espinelli, who pitched in the big leagues with the Giants, is playing for the Philippines. But the Philippines did not get, until, did not get Tim Lincecum, who apparently has Filipino uh, descent, did not get Ricky Oropesa of the Giants to play for them. So uh, could have, that, that could have been a more intriguing um, – qualifier to watch, but as it is, uh, really not, d- didn't float either of our boats. Those games are all streamed at worldbaseballclassic.com. 15th to the 19th is when those those tournaments are scheduled, so uh, you can get your international fix if you and need it. I do have one more question that went, I guess, just And to we'll me. wrap here, yeah. We'll wrap here, but this was a good one to kind of end it on, because we've had this discussion already many a time in the office. Masterbase uh, on Twitter asks, so where do the Royals and Montgomery go from here? <laughs> How do you know with that? Because that's a... Uh... Okay, well, that was a big bone of contention last year with Mike Montgomery. Uh, I think I was I was driving the Mike Montgomery uh, bandwagon, and then you kicked me off of it last and year and then, took the reins. And, I, and I'm off of it somewhat. I mean, I want to stay on it somewhat. I don't think you just say, okay, well, give up on him or anything like that. He has to be protected for the Rule 5 this year. To me, if you're the Royals, you have to protect him for the Rule 5. You don't... You don't give up on an arm like that, the potential of an arm like that. What what kind of arm is he today, though? That's the question. What how, you know? What how are you grading his pitches right, right now? now? Right now, I would say From if you were just the average 2012. Mike Montgomery was what? I would say 55, 50, 55 fastball on an average start. You saw you saw better than that. You saw worse than that. Average start, I'd say 50, 55 fastball, 60, 65 changeup. 30, 35 breaking ball, depending on the night. Right. And with 30 command. I mean, that's really, if you said present, not projection, what you're seeing present and what you saw as a guy who did not trust his stuff, I don't think, particularly. How'd the command get that bad? He's never been a precision guy, but how'd the command get that bad, J.J.? What what happened? I think partly, I mean, again, and the the thing that concerns me with this is, is that if you said project out Mike Montgomery, and we were talking about this, we talked about this, you know, me and John have, you know, not on podcasts. The thing that concerns me is, is I can't find anyone. If I found anyone who said, here's what's going wrong with Mike Montgomery and here's how I can fix it, or here's how I think they could fix it, that would, to me, encourage me significantly. That would make you feel better, yeah. But I don't find anyone who says, yeah, 
he's doing this. I I think that what you know to to put it all to wrap a bow on it. I think a couple things happened. One, his command never was great, and that was really kind of going to be the separator. That was the thing they that was if you said the Mike Montgomery to do list two years ago. Yeah. When two years ago spring training, he was he was on the edge of being what was viewed as big league ready. Yeah, when you saw him in Wilmington and, and, and oh, saw him as good as you're ever going to see him. I mean, at that point, if you said, if you graded his pitches that night, here's the crazy thing. If you said that night, it would say 70 fastball, 70 changeup. And that night, which admittedly is about as good, that was the best he's ever been, 60, 65 breaking ball, which you, maybe, you, maybe if you want to be really hard grader on it, because I said it, I had a scout that night tell me, you're seeing multiple 70s here, everything's plus. But if you wanted to be a hard grader, maybe you say 55 breaking ball. You say, you know what, that breaking ball is really good here, but it won't work as well in the big leagues. I could, right. I could buy that. The changeup in the fastball, it was a 95 on our fastball from the left side right, with, with a crazy location good and a crazy good changeup. I mean, he got strikeouts ball. Okay, that was his absolute best start. Everyone has a, you know. But if you said what he was in spring training, because in spring training, I think it was going into the 2011 season, he pitched really well. And there was some talk, okay, will this guy be a big leaguer? You know, how far is he away? From there to now, if you said what's happened, one, the to-do list at the time was improve your command, refine your breaking ball. Refine, but especially the fastball command, because he's always had, since he got out of A-ball, the walk rate has been close to four for mm-hmm. nine innings. That seems and, like and that's it, the number one issue. And it's, and, and it's control and command, but especially the command in that he got up to AAA and – you know, the reality is his guys don't chase as much. I mean, that's always true. Right. And it got to the point where he, he was not able, he was getting in bad counts a lot. And I think at that point it spiraled, you know. And the reality is, is that so that the Royals have tried to do some things. Uh, you know, one thing they did do is is there was a, you know, there used to be a, a pretty big, you know, kind of fight between, I mean, there, there's no way to put it. <laughs> right. But he wanted to long toss a lot. They told him, you know, we don't want, want you to long toss. At some point, they basically said, "You know what? We're going to let you kind do of you like. do what you do. What you do, that didn't help." And the reality is, is that I mean, he's not. The velocity is not consistently what it was. That's the biggest question to me. It makes me think there's some kind of injury there. Uh, oh, to me, the the one thing I'll say is, is because I've wondered about that. The reality is, is you can kind of he had a forearm strain a couple of years ago, and you could say that he has not been the same guy since. I, I've asked Royals people. Directly, hey, you know, we post Danny Duffy, TJ, it came out. Well, we knew he had a tear in his ligament, you know, and I've been told we, you know, it's clean. There's not, to me, that, the funny thing is, is I don't think there would be a cover up on that for one reason. The best thing that would, to me, in some ways, the best thing that could happen for Mike Montgomery a year ago would have been, oh, you know what, we found his ligaments torn in his elbow. Right. This is, explains it all. Okay. You're going to go have TJ, and when you come back, you'll have a 95-mile-an-hour fastball again, and, and we'll just work on you know finishing up the final touches. That hasn't been the issue, Instead, though. Instead, he's – I mean, he was bad in double-A last year. And the, that's the biggest issue to me, is that he's just not the – he's just not the guy he used to be. Uh, what is that? That's a, a fine young cannibal song. It wasn't – I'm not, I'm half the man I used to be. Right. And that's Mike Montgomery, I mean, right now, without the falsetto. Right and, now – And he doesn't – also, J.J., the biggest question – the biggest problem, I think, for Mike Montgomery – beyond the stuff not being what it used to be, is that he does not have the makeup. He has not handled adversity. He doesn't you know, have, when he was, doesn't have when, the confidence he used to have. When he first bumped up against adversity, where we're going to make you, you're going to put your round peg into our square hole, 
he clashed, and that was his makeup in high school. He was the Rasheed Wallace of his high school basketball team. I love Rasheed Wallace, but he got multiple technical fouls and was thrown off his high school basketball team. He was like, okay, that's fine. I was going to go pitch. Oh, well, Trevor Bauer, my high school teammate, is better than me. He didn't have a great senior year, in part because I think he was felt a little diminished in Trevor Bauer's uh, wake. Then, you know, get the pro ball. It didn't seem like he, it seemed like he thrived off the competition. It seemed like he and John Lamb fed off each other somewhat. But he hasn't reacted well to adversity. And the makeup, the hot-headedness, the not dealing with authority has always kind of been an issue with Mike Montgomery. Frankly, it's a little bit of an issue with Trevor Bauer. But these are some stubborn dudes, uh, both of these guys. Uh, to me, Mike Montgomery has to look in the mirror for himself as the issue, no longer the Royals development issue. I think people who listen to this podcast know when I think of the Royals pitching development, I think it stinks. I think the track record speaks for itself. But Mike Montgomery's track record speaks for itself, too. Since he got a ball, he hasn't thrown enough strikes. He needs to kind of look in the mirror uh, about that. And that's always been a critique of guys who long toss, is that it's more about arm strength and not about... Uh, you don't throw, you know, Ferguson Jenkins and Leo Mazzoni are two guys who were proponents of you don't need to throw anything more than 60 feet 6 inches. You practice to be on the mound. Yeah. So Mike Montgomery is kind of ammunition for the anti-long toss crowd in that he doesn't throw enough strikes to the fastball. And I don't think he's shown the, the mental ability, the toughness, the makeup to overcome that adversity and to get better, to make adjustments. And that's part of what baseball is. And when you're as, as athletic as Mike Montgomery was purported to be, well, he should be able to make those adjustments, say, and, he hasn't, and he hasn't been able to make those adjustments. So it's disappointing because he has really I, – I think he had that promise in A-ball. That was not fluky. That was not some mirage. That was there. That was legit. And even if the breaking ball remained below average, if you're pitching with a 70 fastball and a 70 changeup, even a 60 fastball and a 60 changeup as a left-hander, that should be enough for you to be a major league starter of some import. Right, not just to like you can get a fifth, you could be a fifth right. starter. You're better than. So that. I think there's a lot of fault. I think there's a lot of blame to share here, but uh, I, I don't write the guy off completely either. Um, to me, though, you have to see more than just a glimpse. He's got a the fact that he basically is not pitching with a plus fastball anymore is pretty depressing. Uh, and and that, that we got to see. I mean, that that's where you, if you're the reality is is that this year, to me, you, you like. Not that the you can't. It's hard to give up on a guy like that. But if you're the Royals, this year is kind of to me almost like the last rodeo for the Royals and Mike Montgomery. In that, yeah. And not that he won't ever do something if he doesn't make it work this year. But if he comes back in 2013, and the fastball, you know, is back is more consistently because he was still you there was still 95 in there at times this past year. Like you would see it at times. That's important. You but you wouldn't see it consistently. And I think part of that was, is the reality is, is part of it was, one, they made an adjustment where they, they kind of lowered his arm saw a little bit and the velo backed up a little bit with that, which they've kind of think now kind of gone away from. Then two was that I think he sometimes took a little off now because he knows he can't, lo- he wasn't locating. But if That's you don't brutal. see, but if you don't see, if the fastball is kind of more of a 90-92, you know, touching 92-93, in in 2013, and the command's still the same. Well, at that point, you almost have to say, okay, well, someone else is going to have to see if they can get something out of them. Like, yeah. like which I, which prospect challenge trade would you make here? <laughs> would you uh, prospect challenge trade Mike Montgomery for Tim Beckham? I think the Rays wouldn't uh, do that. I don't the, think the Rays would do that. No, the the one that always jumps out to me would be. Uh, 
uh, I, I think you know it would be something along the lines of uh, how about uh, Mike Montgomery for Manny Banuelos or I mean I think the Yankees don't do that because I think they believe in Banuelos a little bit more but but right. that would be one Manny Banuelos for Mike Montgomery Mike, Mike Montgomery for Dylan Batances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that one is funny. I think I think Mike Montgomery slots. If you're ranking those, I think he slots in between. Like if you said Mike Montgomery for Manny Banuelos, the Yankees are giving up too much there because I think there's more likelihood of Banuelos if it all coming back together than there is for Montgomery. Sure. But if you said Montgomery for Batances, I say that the Broyles are giving up too much because I think there's a higher likelihood. I think Mike Montgomery. But Dylan Batances is a fastball curveball guy. Yes, Bill pitch. Fisher would be like excellent. <laughs> but if you said Mike Montgomery. The, the Yankees have already, with Batances, kind of said, well, this guy's probably, you know, this guy's a reliever. If Mike Montgomery, if you said tomorrow, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to cash in our chips and we're just going to move Mike Montgomery to the pen and say, you know what, throw your fastball, as, you know, air it out for an inning. You can go throw a long toss pole to pole to, right. get, you know, to build up arm strength and you, and your change up. You just don't even worry about that breaking ball. If you did that. I think he still right now has a decent chance to be a solid reliever. I'm trying to think if there's some kind of uh, – if they could have thrown in Mike Montgomery in the uh, Irvin Santana trade and if, the, if the, and the Angels had given something back, that would have been a perfect one. Where the, If I were the Angels, that's who I would ask for back, and I bet you the Royals would have said, here, take him. But uh, that, I guess that, not, that, though. We're going to wrap this around to wrap it up. I want, that, this is the question I wanted to ask. The Blue Jays make this deal, the, 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 the big deal. What other teams out there are there – that fans should be like, man, I, I, I kind of wish that my team had done that. Is there a team that you can think of where you go, man, that would have actually – I think, I think most other major league teams are, are – I think other front offices are asking themselves, do we look into the Marlins enough? Do we know – do we have any inkling the Marlins were in this dump mode? Because I just saw yesterday – I was going through my Twitter feed yesterday. I was at my son's basketball game when the news broke. And so I was going through my Twitter feed, and I missed one of his baskets, which was very frustrating. Thankfully, he scored others. Humble brag. Hashtag humble brag. But uh, I was looking through my Twitter feed, and I saw earlier in the day Bob Nightingale tweeting about the Marlins being in on some free agent or some trade for a big leaguer. So it seems like the buzz out of the GM meetings was that the Marlins were trying to buy. And instead, they were selling, which, A, I think tells you – Alex Anthopoulos has been very good at keeping secrets as a Major League General Manager. So kudos to AA for that. Uh, Best Greek General Manager in the game that I know of. I only know of one. Number two, um, the Marlins were pretty good at keeping a secret that they were selling. I think just my conversations, a couple texts I sent yesterday, a couple of different scouts with big league clubs, was that no one had the sense that the Marlins were in this much of a sell mode. So I think that, again, the kudos go to Alex Anthopoulos that he sniffed this trade out because I think I think all the other clubs that think they're players would have liked to have gotten in on this. But, you know, like like for example, say, the, other, like the Brewers, for example, would have loved to have gotten in on a guy like a Mark Burley or a Josh Johnson. Now the th- the tough thing with that though is is that it also comes down to did this trade have to be all together? Because if so, that does limit the number of teams. I know there's more money coming into them, you know. But to, it does. But it does because, like. But like you know, if you're the I Mariners, do, I do the, I do the, yeah. say you're the Mariners. The Mariners, the Mariners want to make a move. They have prospects. I think the Mariners would have been interested in this kind of a trade. And, the, and they have they have players to offer. Hey, you want a minor league shortstop? we got Nick Franklin or Brad Miller. Hey, you want some minor league pitching? We could spare you James Paxton uh, without, and, and maybe Brandon Maurer without having to touch our top guys, Tawan Walker and uh, Danny Holson. You, know, you need to, you want, you, they have the prospect depth to have made but, that kind of deal happen. But the thing about happen. this is that I don't know though. 
if you're the Mariners, and maybe you do. Like the the interesting thing is, is I think there are more teams out there that the component parts. Because if you're the Mariners, you probably actually want to do a little bit less of this deal. Maybe, yeah. You, you may, because if you're the Mariners, the reality is, is that not that Mark Burley and Josh Johnson aren't nice guys to add to this trade, but really the it's the Jose Reyes, you know, maybe Emilio Bonifacio part of this trade that's more interesting for you. I I do the Royals list. If you're the Royals. Yeah, Johnson and Burley. Are Johnson and Burley. If you could swing a deal, say like, okay, we're gonna, you know, we'll take on those contracts happily right. and take, run the risk on that, but we don't want to add the gazillion years of backloaded sure. Jose Reyes part of the deal. There are only a few teams in my mind that really wouldn't have been interested, and that's teams that are set at shortstop that would not want to take Reyes's contract at shortstop. But even then, if you do, you probably have a chance to spin your shortstop to the Rangers or to someone else who's looking to make these deals right. involving the, big league shortstops. The, the tough part of it, though, is, is that when you put it all together and you get to $150 million, $155 million in commitment, right. at that point then, because, I mean, the team that jumps out to me that, like, it, the, the, to me, the team that, if this could have worked out for them, and would have been the Pirates. If the Pirates could have – I know it sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah, it does. But if the Pirates had swung this deal – Pirates. That would have changed the entire dynamic as far as like, – That's a great point, That would have, JJ. to me, the marketplace in Pittsburgh. Because that is a marketplace that wants to believe in their team. But I think for five minutes they would have thought about that trade and they would have thought about Ben Roethlisberger's shoulder. <laughs> I mean, seriously. No, I mean, but, as a Steeler but, fan, don't you know that? Like, no, but you think I, I think right now they're, they're, they're the third team in the market. There's no doubt about that. Well, including the second team is not playing right now <laughs> at all. <laughs> wow, but, that's quite a statement. But but the reality of it is, though, is just that like... But it's a great ACC at, market now, But if you look too, at it, though, to me, if you're the Pirates... That would have been like they're they're a team that actually I don't know that they, they probably don't have the budget room they've just locked they they managed to you know they kept their guy but if you wanted to, but if you wanted to change the conversation about your franchise that's the way you do it I, I agree with you that's a great point I mean that's another reason why it's so vital for the Blue Jays to have done this because it does make them relevant for the first time really in a long time and they yeah since at least since Roger oh. Clemens was there and and Roy Halladay was but, there and. And they were winning some uh, Cy Young awards, but it was all individual awards, not The, the thing about this is, is that I think you compare this of the two giant dumps, this one versus the Red Sox, you know, Red Sox-Dodgers <laughs> move. Yeah. I'm a chuckle, child. Chuckle, chuckle. I'm a child. But if you look at the difference between those, I do think that there's less, there's less, this one's less albatrossy. For the acquiring team, it is. It is less of a word. You know, I like, agree. Like if you look, it's at less the, of a millstone. There are fewer millstone contracts here, especially when you talk about Johnson only has one more year, and Burley. To me, the durability, the fact that he's always healthy, you're going to get some value out of that contract, even if he's a fifth starter instead of a first number one starter. You're you're, you're going to. The reality is, is he's not going to be worth the contract you're paying him probably at the end of that deal. But you know what? That's but that's compared to. You don't know what you're getting from Carl Crawford in the right. remaining years of that deal. Right. And you're basically taking on more, a lot more money in the Carl Crawford deal than you are on the Mark Burley portion of this. Yeah, and Jose Reyes, the reality is that Jose Reyes is one year removed from the money that he got from the Marlins wasn't considered out that outlandish on the free agent market. Absolutely not. It so, was... so that you're you're taking, you're getting that contract. In some ways, at a little bit of a discount because you're not having to pay on your. And as we've detailed, it's very hard to find shortstops. If you're going to pay for something, pay for a guy who can actually play major league shortstop. Whereas Carl Crawford's a, a left fielder. That's that, I agree with you. It's less millstoney slash albatrossy. 
So I like that. on that truthiness note, uh, Stephen Colbert can ask us for, for more advice on made-up words, although I think he kind of has that on lockdown. Uh, great, uh, great podcast. Look forward to JJ's edit of it, and uh, we'll drop that on BaseballAmerica.com and iTunes. If you ever have questions for the podcast, you can send them to us at podcast at BaseballAmerica.com. Tweet at JJ at JJCoop36 or tweet at me at John Manuel BA. Uh, for JJ, I'm John. We'll see you on the next BA podcast. So long, everybody.